Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the exposit story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Baldhead Bible Podcast is committed to keeping our show free to the public. However, as with everything, there are expenses involved, so if you would like to contribute, head on over to patreon.com, that's patreon.com forward slash baldheadbible, and there you can become a supporting member for as low as $1 a month. While there, please check out some of the bonus material available only to our BHBP supporters. And some of that material includes Bible study guides to help you use the podcast to minister to your children, to minister in a Sunday school class, and to have some quality family devotions. All right, man, I need you to dig a trench. The bigger the trench, the bigger the blessing. Come on, you gotta dig a trench. King Jehoshaphat, King Jehoram, and this king of Edom, they're yelling to their men, dig a trench, dig a trench. And the men are thinking, I'm hot. I am so hot, I'm dying of thirst. And you want me to dig a trench? And the bigger a trench I dig, the bigger the blessing. What? This this makes no sense. The man picks up his shovel and he looks at the dry dirt and he's dying of thirst. What are you going to do? Do I dig a trench or not? Now, how did they get to this point and why would these kings want them to dig a trench? Well, if you turn to 2 Kings chapter 3, we're going to hear an interesting story about trusting God when it makes no sense. Remember, Israel split into two, right? Northern Israel made up of the ten tribes of Israel, and then southern Israel, which made up of Judah and Benjamin and any other tribes that decided to come south. Well, Judah, or southern Israel, is led by a king named Jehoshaphat. Now, he's a good and godly king. Well, the northern Israel is led by a King Jehoram, who the Bible says is evil. Though the Bible says he's not as evil as his dad, King Ahab, or his mom, Jezebel. It says there in 2 Kings chapter 3, he's not as evil because they had a pillar to Baal, and Jehoram knocked it down. Well done, Jehoram. But the problem is, Jehoram also left the high places to other gods up in Israel, northern Israel, and and he left the worship of Baal going, and in fact, he promoted it. As we're going to see, Jehoram is the type of guy, when he's surrounded by people who want to do right, he'll do right, but when he's surrounded by evil, he'll keep doing evil. He's a bit of a waffler there, you know? 
He just wants to get along with the people. And if they all worship Yahweh, yeah, I'll do it. But if my friends don't, man, I'm going to go with this other thing. And well, that's who Jehoram was. Well, he ascends to the throne. When he ascends to the throne, that's when Misha decides to take action. King Misha is the king of Moab. Now, Moab is a country to the northeast of northern Israel. It's northeast of the Jordan River. It's also east of the Dead Sea. Well, the Moabites were sheep breeders. And under King Ahab, northern Israel raided into Moab and basically took them under control. And so the Moabites had to pay tribute to Israel. They had to give him some of their sheep and they had to give him some of their wool to keep him happy. Well, Misha saying, uh-uh, none of that. And when he saw Jehoram rise to the throne, he thought, you know what? I bet he's not as strong as his dad. I bet he's not as mighty. In fact, I'm going to risk it for the biscuit. And he takes charge and he says, no more. And he rebels. Well, Jehoram, he's like, I can't have that. So he asks Jehoshaphat to join him in battle. Now, Jehoshaphat, he should have known better. Jehoram is an evil king. That's what the Bible says he is. And he's evil because he worships these other gods. Jehoshaphat, he's worshiping the right god. Also, Jehoram says to him, you know, we're related. Your people are my people. Come on. Come into battle with me because the Moabites aren't just rebelling against me. They're rebelling against Israel too. Remember the history, and there is a great history of the Israelites and the Moabites fighting. The Israelites kill King Eglon, one of the Moabite kings and the judges. And later on, the Moabites were a thorn in the flesh of Saul and David. But should Jehoshaphat, who's a good king, who's following Yahweh, get involved with a king? That's doing bad and following other gods, even though they're related? No. He shouldn't have. You know, that happens to a lot of us, right? Well, I, this friend of mine, he's a really good guy, but he wants to do bad things. And I know I shouldn't do it, but he's a really good friend. Or he might even be a family member. And I don't... Uh, no. Follow the Lord. Do what's right. Do not give in. Put God first. Even if it costs you some family or friends, put God first. Well, Jehoshaphat, he does the opposite. And he says, all right, you know what? Let's go into battle. And so he aligns himself with Jehoram. Big mistake. Well, Jehoram says, hey, Jehoshaphat, what should we do? How are we going to attack this Moabite? Well, Jehoram wants to do the fighting. Why in the world is he asking Jehoshaphat to come up with the plan? This makes no sense to me. But Jehoshaphat comes up with what I think in the end is a really dumb plan. He says, let's go attack Moab from the south. They'll never guess it's from the south. See, most of the commanders would take their armies north and attack Moab from the north. But to do that, you got to fight fortified city after fortified city after fortified city. In fact, if Israel and Judah and Benjamin attacked the Moabites from the south, they'd have to go through a desert. A terribly hot, hot, long desert. And nobody would guess they're coming through there, Jehoshaphat's thinking. 
And along the way, it's not just Jehoshaphat and Jehoram who's attacking Moab. They get another king, another leader from the country of Edom to join them. So northern Israel, southern Israel, and Edom decide to get together and attack the Moabites from the south. Well, to get to Moab, they've got to go through this desert, this wilderness in Edom. And it's a hot, hot desert. And the Moabites are probably thinking, there's no way they're going to go through that. There's no way they're going to get so tired they're going to run out of water. Well, Jehoshaphat's thinking, yeah, but they're not thinking that. But that would be awesome and be like a surprise attack. Let's do it. So they all high-five each other, the king of Edom, the king of northern Israel, the king of southern Israel. They, yes, yes, let's do it. It'll be a big surprise. Well, they start to go through Edom. And they hit that desert of Edom. And it's hot, and it's dry, and it's terrible, and it's a terrible idea. It says the seven-day march, their animals start to die. The soldiers start to wander and, and lose heart and strength. Why? Because they've run out of water. They can't bring enough water for their journey. Why in the world they thought this would work is beyond me. Well, as they're nearing the Moabite border, they have no strength to fight. They might not even make the Moabite border. And King Jehoram, he basically yells out, Why, Lord, why has God brought us this far to just kill us? And he's so sad. And He's using the name of Yahweh, but he basically thinks Yahweh's brought them here to kill him. And he's sad and he's depressed. And, and King Jehoshaphat, he at least tries to think godly and he says wait let's inquire of the lord let's not assume we're in this position because of something terrible let's inquire of the lord and find out what what's this for and is there is there a prophet around here who knows yahweh well somebody says elisha he's the new prophet of israel he's nearby you should go consult him so Jehoram, Jehoshaphat, they go consult Elisha. They say, hey men, stay here in this rotten hot desert. We're going to go talk to Elisha. Now, why they didn't take everybody with them, I don't know. Because where Elisha was, there must have been water. There must have been food. But they left their massive army. Maybe they couldn't handle that many people. I don't know, but... Jehoshaphat, Jehoram, and possibly the king of Edom, they go and they find Elisha. I think it's interesting. That's how desperate they were. Usually the prophet comes to the king and bows. They're coming to Elisha and bowing. That's how desperate they are. And when they get there, Elisha looks at Jehoram, basically says to him, what have I to do with you? You go talk to your prophets. You go talk to the prophets of your father, Ahab, and your mother, Jezebel. You go talk to the prophets of basically Baal and Asher and Chemosh. Go talk to them. Yahweh has nothing to do with you. Well, Jehoram whines and complains. And then Elisha says in response, if it weren't for Jehoshaphat. If it weren't for the fact that Jehoshaphat is here, Yahweh would never be answering you. But because he is one of my children, because he's trying to honor me, I'm going to answer you. 
Well, Elisha calls for a musician. And a musician comes and begins to play a piece of music. And it's interesting, Elisha needed this music to help him to concentrate and to discern the will of the Lord. Maybe the music helped him calm down from his anger at Jehoram for being such a feckless leader. Maybe there's something about the music that drew him into the presence of God. I don't know, but music is powerful, isn't it? David played music to calm Saul's spirit, you know? And there, it's just interesting how Elisha had to use music to come into the presence of the Lord. Because then it says there in 2 Kings chapter 3 that the hand of the Lord came upon him when this man played the music. And the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha, and Elisha looks at Jehoshaphat and Jehoram, and he says, as Yahweh lives, I want you to dig a trench in the desert. I want you to dig trenches in the desert. Because I am going to bless you in such a way, and I am going to send, not through wind, not through rain, there is going to come water and it's going to fill that whole desert. So you better dig trenches to receive the water that's about to pour out. It's going to be in a miraculous way, but you got to dig trenches to collect that water. But you know what? Elisha goes on to say, that's a little thing. That's a pretty amazing miracle to me if it comes to pass. But Elisha says, that's a little thing, because not only that, I am going to give the Moabites into your hand. So Jehoshaphat and Jehoram, the king of Edom, they go back. And like at the beginning of the story, they tell their soldiers, dig trenches. Now I'm thinking, again, if I'm an Israelite soldier, I am tired. And you want me to dig a trench in the middle of this desert? Why? We got to collect water. Water's coming. And they're probably thinking, this is stupid. I can imagine, you know, one soldier, he just digs a little trench. He didn't say a big trench. He said, Josephat said to dig trench. So I'm digging a trench. I'm digging a hole, not a big one. But then maybe some of those soldiers were true followers of Yahweh and they loved them. They're like, I'm going to trust Yahweh with all my heart and I'm going to dig the biggest trench that I can dig. Make this thing massive because if God sent in water, I want to collect a lot of it. Well, the next morning, around the time of the morning sacrifice, water just filled the whole desert. And it wasn't water through rain. And it wasn't water through wind. It says water came from Edom. So water came from the south, up north, filled that whole area. And the bigger the hole you dug, the bigger collection of water you got. And you were able to drink. Some barely probably got just a little face full of water. Others who dug a big trench were able to bathe in it and jump in it and had a swimming pool level worth of water in their cattle drank. Many people think that God sent rain on the hills and mountains of Edom and it rolled down and caused a flash flood to come into that whole desert area. Well, when the Moabite army got up to fight and they looked out and they saw the Israelites, what they saw were not pools of water blessing the Israelites. 
What they saw instead were pools of blood. That's what they saw. The pools of water looked red to them is what the Bible says. So when they saw a pool of water, they saw a pool of blood, and they thought, well, look, that person's head, it's next to a pool of blood. That means they fought each other. That means they hurt each other. They cut each other. They stabbed each other. That means the Edomites turned on the southern Israelites. The southern Israelites turned on the northern Israelites. The northern Israelites, they turned on everybody else. Yes, they fought each other. And the Moabites said, yes, let's go in a fight and collect the spoil. And when they ran towards the army of the Israelites, and yeah, what they were expecting were dismembered corpses instead they were mowed down by the Israelites. It says the Israelites caught them by total surprise and were able to push them north and they began to take cities there in Moab. And it said they pushed all the army and in fact, Misha all the way back to the city called Kir Haseth. This was Misha's last stronghold. And he's inside there and they're fighting and they're about to siege the town. When Misha, he bursts out and he tries with 700 swordsmen, it says, break through the Edomite line. He thought they were the weakest. Northern Israel is tough. Southern Israel is probably tougher. But I can break through this Edomite line. Well, he takes 700 soldiers. Totally fails and he's pushed back into the city. And then something tragic happens. Inside the city, they're behind fortified walls. Every city had big walls built around the city to protect it. And it says that King Misha takes his son, his oldest son, who's about to inherit the throne. He would be the next king. And it says he takes him up to the top of the wall and there offers him as a burnt sacrifice to his god, Chemosh. It says when the Israelites who are fighting outside the walls saw that horrible sight. Can you imagine seeing a a dad sacrifice his son? Human sacrifice? And then he had to burn him up? I mean, it was a terrible sight. And when the Israelites saw that, says they went home. They didn't complete the victory. And later on, archaeologists have discovered the Moabite stele, which is basically an inscription upon rock, and it's been preserved over the years. And on this inscription, King Misha talks about this very battle, and Misha is claiming victory. And he's saying he sacrificed his son to this Chemosh God, and that won him the victory and how his God is better than Yahweh. Misha thinks he's won. They didn't get him. But you know what was interesting? Is Elisha said, when you win these battles, when you win these cities, when you win them back, I want you, Yahweh says, through Elisha, I want you to chop down every tree in that village to stop their springs with rocks so the springs won't work anymore, and to throw rocks into all the fields so they won't be able to plow them and use them for agriculture. Every city, and it says that the Israelites, when they were pushing the Moabites back, killing the Moabites, they did that to their cities. They stopped their springs, they chopped down all their trees, and they filled their fields with stone. 
So Misha, he thinks he's won. He's got this one city. But the rest of his cities and villages, they're useless. Filled with rocks in the fields. Terrible cost of victory for Misha. And I don't even think he really won. I think the Israelites, they were just so upset at what they saw. And many people think southern Israel was so mad in northern Israel for bringing them into that battle. It says the wrath of God broke out against Israel. And, and this idea is that Judah got so mad, Judah Benjamin got so mad at Israel for making them fight this battle and then for them having to see that... The battle's over, and the story's over. And it's a bit of a sad story, really. But there is one thing that I think is really interesting and really cool in this story. And, and I think it's this, that God may ask you to prepare for a blessing. And when you prepare, what God asks you to do to prepare for that blessing may make no sense at all. It made no sense for them to dig trenches in the desert, to get water, which was nowhere around. It made no sense. But God's essentially saying to his people, you got to prepare for blessing. And again, the Israelite who dug a little hole, he got a little blessing. The Israelite who dug a big, massive trench, he got a bigger blessing. I'm just saying when God has asked you to step forward in faith and to do something which makes no sense, like dig a hole in a desert, time and again, God asks his people to step out in faith and to dig a trench in their desert. I would encourage you to think of this. How much do I trust that God as I dig? How much do I trust Yahweh as I dig? How much do I trust the blessings that are going to come as I dig? Dig that trench. Dig it big. Prepare for the blessing to come. The bigger the ditch you dig, the bigger the faith you're saying, I am going to trust you, Lord. I'm going to step out in faith. Dig that trench. Because that blessing's coming. Thank you for listening to Baldhead Bible Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can comment on our Facebook page or email us at baldheadbible at gmail.com. If you would like to support this podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash baldheadbible. Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life. New episodes added every week.